Well, good morning, everyone. I'm glad each one of you are here. And uh, we're actually going to be looking at Numbers 35, chapter 35. It's amazing we're going to be finishing up today, Numbers, and uh, next week we'll be starting Deuteronomy, which actually is, is Hebrew for the second law. In other words, uh, the law is repeated in Deuteronomy. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for this opportunity to gather together for one purpose, and that is to worship you, because we are your children. We are your servants, and we pray, Heavenly Father, that you would fill us with the spirit that just empowers us to do the work of the ministry for which we've been called. We're living in a time that we need to be sharing the light of truth more than probably any other time in history. And so come and anoint and use me, Lord, to minister and speak to these, your precious people. And I ask and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. A couple announcements. We do have a marriage seminar coming up September 12th, and Tuesday is September 1st. Isn't that amazing? And if you are married or are engaged or you're getting married or whatever, we'd encourage you to come. It's not just for people that have problems. It's a time of encouragement. And um, so you're going to be hearing from, uh, from me giving uh, views on marriage and how to make it to 50 years. And uh, from uh, Pastor Frank Jr. on uh, how to handle uh, a happy marriage during that whole time of rearing children. And then we're going to have a breakaway where the men go in one part and the women in the other. And uh, the pastor's wives will be sharing with the ladies and Frank and I with the guys you know, answering some questions you might have. So there's a sign-up on the backboard. We need to know if you're coming because we're going to be having a, uh, a dinner afterwards. And so the marriage seminar is from 1 to 5 with the dinner following. And also on September 24th, New Hope is going to be having their gathering at the gathering place. It's the old North Syracuse Baptist, and they're not able to have it at Driver's Village because of the whole COVID thing and not being able to have a dinner. So we encourage you to also look into that, and it's a, a, you know, New Hope is just a great organization as far as encouraging young women to keep their children rather than aborting them. So we encourage you to be part of that. And also, if you don't, if you've noticed, there are baby bottles out in the uh, foyer there, and it's not because we're a bunch of babies, but the baby bottles are out there uh, for New Hope. And so you take them home, and you fill them with change, and you bring them back. And uh, it really is a a big supportive campaign for them each year. Okay, let's pray. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your word. And once again, we ask your blessing to be upon it. And just use me, Lord, to help break open this portion, I ask in Christ's name. Amen and amen. Now, last week, we started covering the cities of refuge. And... Uh, we concentrated last week in the fact that there are places that people could go who accidentally committed murder, and in other words, manslaughter, and it was unintentional. And this week we're going to be looking at it in the sense of not only is it a place where the people went to who accidentally committed murder, but sometimes people fled there who committed murder. But that was not a place that they could stay, because if they had committed intentional murder, they had to come before the judges. And if they were found guilty, they were to be put to death. And if they were found innocent, then they could return to the city of refuge and stay there until the death of the, of the high priest. 
And one of the things we're going to find that's amazing is couched in this whole account of the city of refuge is the salvation we find in Jesus Christ. And one of the things that I think it's important for us always to remember is that the Old Testament isn't just, you know, an ancient you know, part of the Bible that we you know, should read because we have to. The Old Testament is laying all the foundation and groundwork for Jesus Christ. Someone had once, since, once said, the Old Testament is Christ concealed and the New Testament is Christ revealed. But Genesis starts right off by showing us our need, that we're sinners. And because of our sin, we're separated from God. And the whole idea of the coming Messiah, of Jesus Christ, was that we might be redeemed back into relationship with the Lord. But even in the Old Testament, even before Jesus Christ came, there were those that were able to follow the righteousness of the law and be preserved in what we call paradise or Abraham's bosom, which we'll talk about in a moment, until the death of our high priest, Jesus Christ, came to be. And uh, it's such a wonderful thing to know that the Lord is our refuge and our hiding place, isn't it? In Hebrews 6 and verse 18, it says that by two immutable things, in other words, these are definite, they can't change, in which it is impossible for God to lie. He can't lie. It's impossible for him. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. God said, let there be, and all of creation was that the word of God, and he can't lie. And that we might have strong consolation, listen, who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope set before us. And the hope that is set before us is that all of our sins, even though we're guilty, all of our sin can be forgiven, and we can have the assurance of being with Christ for all eternity. So in Numbers chapter 35, picking up with verse 16, if you want to follow along, 35, 16. But if he strikes him with an iron implement so that he dies, he is a murderer, and the murderer shall surely be put to death. And if he strikes him with a stone in the hand by which he could die, and he does die, he is a murderer, the murderer shall, shall, shall surely be put to death. Or if he strikes him with a wooden hand weapon by which he could die, and he does die, he is a murderer. The murderer shall surely be put to death. The avenger of blood himself shall put the murderer to death. When he meets him, he shall put him to death. Now, the avenger of blood is the closest relative to the person who is killed. That's the avenger of blood, if you wondered who that is. Verse 20. If he uh, uh, pursues him uh, out of hatred... This is someone who, who kills someone. While, uh, while lying in wait, hurls something at him so that he dies, or, is, or in enmity, in other words, anger, war uh, with someone, and he strikes him with his hands so that he dies, the one who struck him shall surely be put to death. He is a murderer, and the avenger of blood shall put the murderer to death when he meets him. However... If he pursues, if he pushes him suddenly without enmity, didn't do it in anger, or throws anything at him without lying in wait, or uses a stone by which a man could die, throwing it at him without seeing him so that he dies, while he was not in enmity, in, uh, not his enemy, or seeking his harm, then 
The congregation shall judge between the manslayer and the avenger of blood according to these judgments. In other words, if someone was killed accidentally, obviously the person who is closest to them, they want, you know, they want justice. And so the congregation would be the judge, kind of like the court system that we have today. Verse 25. So the congregation shall deliver the manslayer from the hand of the avenger of blood, and the congregation shall return him to the city of refuge where he had fled. And he shall remain there until the death of the high priest who is anointed with the holy oil. But if the manslayer at any time goes outside the limits of the city of refuge where he fled, and the avenger of blood finds him outside the limits of the city of refuge, and the avenger of blood kills the manslayer, he shall not be guilty of blood, because he should have remained in the city of refuge until the death of the high priest. But after the death of the high priest, the manslayer may return to the land uh, of his possession. And um, these things shall be a statute of judgment to you throughout your generations in all your dwellings. Whoever kills a person, the murderer shall be put to death on the testimony of two witnesses. That's plural, witnesses. But one witness shall not, um, is not sufficient uh, testimony against a person for the death penalty. In other words, one person might make a mistake. Maybe they didn't really see it the way it actually happened. Or they could just simply be lying. So it required at least two witnesses for someone to be put to death. Verse 31, moreover, you shall take no ransom for the life of a murderer who is guilty of death, but he shall surely be put to death. And you shall, you shall take no ransom for him who has fled to a city of refuge, that he may return to dwell on the land before the death of the high priest. In other words, you couldn't pay someone off. Like, let's say you accidentally or purposely killed someone, but you had a lot of money and you tried to pay the people off. Well, you know what? If you just let me off. Or uh, the same thing with fleeing the city of refuge. Hey, if, if you, the avenger of blood, if you just let me return back to my possessions, I'm going to give you all this money. It's bribery. And it's telling us you can't do that. A person who deserves death, deserves death. A person who is not deserving of death, but has to remain in the city of refuge, needs to stay there. Verse 33. So you shall put, so you shall not pollute the land where you are, for blood defiles the land. And no atonement can be made for the land for the blood that is shed, is shed on it, except by the blood of him who shed it. Therefore, do not defile the land which you inhabit in the midst of which I dwell, for I the Lord dwell among the children of Israel. So the first thing this portion makes clear to us is the difference between accidental killing of someone and premeditated murder. They're two different things. And using an, uh, an instrument for murder, like if someone has a big club or whatever, that's the sure sign you did it intentionally. But there might be times that simply because of, um, you know, just not being aware of what you're doing and, and just being reckless in your behavior, you accidentally kill someone, you didn't do it on purpose, and you deserve the city of refuge. Now, you and I, this is the thing that's interesting. You and I are all guilty of murder. You and I are all responsible for the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, had to die on the cross 
for our sin. For every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And the free gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ. So there's not one of us as believers that can say, well, I'm innocent, or some people will say, well, they're not as bad as other people. We're all sinners. You know, sometimes I've had people come up and say to me, well, you know, my relative, whoever it might be, just insert whatever you think, they're such a good person. They've never really harmed anyone. They've never really done anything. I can't believe that God would send them to hell. Well, God isn't sending anyone to hell. We've earned it all on our own by sin. And we've all sinned. And, you know, you, there's no category of sins. Well, that person has committed venial sin, but this person has really committed a mortal sin. You know what I'm saying? There's no difference in sin. Sin is sin, and sin separates us from the living God. And uh, so every one of us has to understand that we are guilty. In Romans 3.23, look at what it tells us. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I think most of us realize that the translation of all from the Greek means all. Every one of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And I love what it tells us in James chapter 2 and verse 10. It says, for whoever shall keep the whole law and yet stumbles in one point, he is guilty of all. Because sometimes what we have are people who say, well, I've really worked hard. I've tried to do what's right. I've followed the Ten Commandments. I've tried to be, you know, do the right thing. And they think in their own righteousness, somehow they've gained acceptance to God. But this is telling us if you fall on one part of the law, you've broken the whole law. And I don't think there's anyone that could honestly say, well, I've never lied, I've never deceived, I've never betrayed, I've never, you know, committed this sin or committed that sin, I've never gotten drunk, I've never, you know, been involved with someone, I've never been in this or in there. None of us could say that. And so if you've committed one sin, you've committed them all. And we have a tendency, and let's be honest, brothers and, brothers and sisters, we have a tendency to kind of categorize sin. Well, these violent sins and these gross sins, they're really bad sins. But these little sins here where you're just trying to, these aren't quite as bad. No, they're all sin. And Jesus didn't come to die on the cross just for those who committed violent sin. He came to die on the cross for everyone who've committed any sin. And therefore, it was sin that laid our Savior on the cross and his life was shed. It was sin, all sin. And as this portion tells us, we're all sinners. And um, in Psalm 23, verse 7, it says, talking about the Lord, you are my hiding place. You shall preserve me in trouble. You shall surround me with songs of what? Deliverance. And in Acts 4.12, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which men, and, and notice what it says, must be saved. It doesn't say should be or it would be nice if they were. must be saved. Because if you're not saved, you're going to hell. It's that simple. So men must be saved. 
Who is there that we want to see go to hell? Even God does not rejoice in the death of the wicked. It breaks his heart because he gave a free gift to anyone who wants to ask him to take away the judgment of all their sin that they might go to heaven. That's the God we serve. And so we flee to Jesus in refuge. And the thing that's interesting, when we flee to Jesus, we're looking in the face of our judge, but we're also looking in the face of our advocate. It's pretty awesome, isn't it? Because it's so important for us to recognize. I mean, I don't know about you. I mean, maybe I'm different. Maybe it's just because I'm old. I don't know. But there are some days that I, you know, I'm, I'm thinking I'm a pretty good guy, you know, not bad and this and that. And there are other days, man, I, I, I just, as, as uh, other people have said, I have those times of self-loathing. Oh, my gosh, I can't believe how, what an idiot I was here. I can't believe what an idiot I was here. I can't believe the mistake I was there. The reality is I'm always guilty of sin. I am a sinner saved by grace. And I am a sinner who is continually maintained by grace. And I am a sinner who will be glorified and go to heaven by grace. There's never a time that I feel confident to say, you know what, Lord, I can take it from here. (laughs) Because the minute I do that, I'm telling you, I'm going to go down. I'm going to go down. And um, when it talks about staying within the boundaries of the city of refuge because of the manslayer that's out there waiting to take us down. Now, follow along with this example. This is going to seem quite maybe abstract, but I'm going, going to share a verse of Scripture with you that proves what I'm sharing with you. But sometimes the people that we're closest to, good friends, family, They want to entice us outside of the city of refuge because they want to kill us. They want to pulverize us with temptation to sin. Right? How many times have you and I had friends? I remember when I first got saved. It it was amazing. When I first got saved and I came to a place where I quit smoking and I quit drinking... Everyone wanted to offer me a cigarette and, and, and try to entice me to get, you know, to get drunk. You know what I'm saying? And so we have to understand we need to stay in that city of refuge. We are in the grace and mercy of God. And we can't allow others to entice us out. Now understand this. If you find yourself outside the city of refuge and you're being pummeled by sin, you're not done with. You're not done for because we belong to God. And one time, one day, we'll wake up and we'll say, Oh, God, forgive me, a sinner. And he does. You know one of my favorite verses, don't you? Though a righteous man, and notice it says a righteous man. Though a righteous man falls seven times. And that really means a lot. You know, it's talking about seven times a day. Though a righteous man falls seven times, he rises again but the wicked fall by calamity. So even though we are uh, you know, righteous and we fall flat on our face and we're skidding in the sin of this world, all we have to do is get back up. That's a sign of a righteous man, that you get back up. Not that you don't fall, but that we're willing to get up and say, God, forgive me, a sinner. And it's so amazing because he does. 
What a loving God we serve. It's amazing. And, um, you know, there's a verse, and a lot of people uh, have been confused by this verse, and I think what I have just shared with you will help you understand it. And it's found in Luke chapter 14 and verse 26. And uh, I've probably, over the years as a pastor, have had more people ask me about this verse than maybe any other verse in the Bible. But in Luke 14, 26, it says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Now, it doesn't mean you walk up to your mom and dad and say, You know what, mom and dad, I hate you. Or you walk up to your wife and say, you know what, I can't stand you, we're done. Or your children, just stay away from me. Now you're worthy to be a... Di- That's not what it's talking about. What it's referring to here is just what we've been discussing. That we have to love the Lord above even our family, even our closest friends. And if our family and closest friends are trying to pull us down, we have to love Jesus more. Now, the wonderful thing is, is when our family and closest friends are believers, that's, that makes it awesome because they're not going to be pulling us down. They're going to be encouraging us. But the whole point that this portion is making is that we need to stay in the boundaries of Jesus Christ because when, when we're walking within the boundaries of Jesus Christ, we have peace and we have joy. The minute we go outside, you know as well as I do, we have all kinds of tribulation. But understand this. The boundaries of Jesus Christ might be different from some than others. Now, listen to me. I'm not talking about what is definitely in Scripture. Well, you know what? My boundary says I can get drunk every day. Now, I'm not talking about that. But there are some people who feel, you know, they shouldn't listen to certain kind of music. Some people who think you shouldn't watch anything on TV or ever go to a movie. There's some people that think, you know, whatever. There's some people that that think... You know, you can have a glass of wine. Some people think you can't have a glass of wine. Those are all different boundaries that other people might have, okay? But we need to stay within the boundaries that God has laid out of what he calls sin and what is not sin. And that's so important for each one of us because the minute we go outside of those boundaries, we're going to find ourselves being very miserable and needing to cry out to God, Oh, Lord, forgive me, a sinner. Now, think about this. Sometimes the greatest temptations and deceptions can come from those we love the the most. You know that verse of Scripture, did God really say? Hath God really said? And remember who used that line? Satan, the devil. Hath God really said? And then, you know, Adam and Eve were like, well, I don't know. (laughs) We need to know God's word. We need to study God's word and know what it says. And when someone says to us, has God really said, we can say, yes, he has. Yes, he has. His word is, is just a delight to me. It's a lamp unto my feet. It's a light to my path. Oh, his word is beautiful. It's like honey to my lips. And then we know the truth, and we're not going to be led astray. You know, sometimes... Um, we forget that Jesus Christ died a literal, physical, horrible death on a cross for you and I. He died for us. 
that we might be saved, that all of our sin might be washed clean. Think about this. Whether you are, you know, just the worst sinner in the world, you've committed murder, you've done all kinds of awful, horrible things, or you're someone who's been maybe an average person, but boy, you've lived a life of sin. His blood cleanses both. You know, sometimes people would say, well, what if Adolf Hitler would have gotten saved before he died? He'd be forgiven and go to heaven. You're going to find when we get into kings that one of the worst kings of the Bible, Manasseh, bloody king, he, he went after believers. He was awful. He was taken into captivity and got saved. And he came back and tried to reestablish a, a righteous kingdom. And, of course, his past worked against him. But the reality is anyone can be saved. And so we can never put categories of sin. Well, I think this person could get saved, but I don't think this one ever could. We don't know. God is able to save whoever calls upon his name. And I love what it tells us here. Until the death of the high priest. Well, our high priest, Jesus Christ, died. And he died for one reason, to set us free. That our sins might be forgiven and we can follow him. And, and John chapter 8 and verse 36, it says, Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So you're not saved. You don't come to Jesus Christ and you're partly free. If the Son sets you free, you're free indeed. Now, your past is going to try to put you back into captivity. You're even going to have people that remind you of your past to try to put you back into captivity. And Satan loves to remind us of our past to put us back into captivity. Sometimes our own conscience tries to remind us of our past to put us into captivity. But understand this. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. And you can tell Satan when he tries to bring accusations against you, you're going to be in hell for all eternity. You're going to be in the lake of fire. And I'm going to be in paradise with God. And so... Understand that we are free in Jesus Christ. And no matter what our conscience and whatever others and even what Satan, whatever accusations they might try to bring against us, we're forgiven. And I love that it tells us in, in Scripture that God not, not only forgives us, but he forgets our sin. Well, how can God forget his sin, our sin? He knows everything. Yeah, but he can also do whatever he wants to do. And he chooses to forget our sin. How wonderful is that? I mean, sometimes we make reconciliation with other people that we love and we think love us and probably do love us, and we make reconciliation with, uh, with them, but they remember. God doesn't. God doesn't. Our past is gone. Now, um, it's interesting, too, because I think I've mentioned this a little bit earlier, but no one is a sinner unintentionally. We've all, we make choices. Sin is choice. Righteousness and coming to our relationship with Jesus Christ is a choice because choice is a sign of love. Choice can also be a sign of disobedience or lack of love. 
when we come to Jesus Christ and say, forgive me a sinner, it's a choice of love. But when we desire to be disobedient, it's also a choice. So no one is, is, <clears throat> is fooled into sinning. We make choices. And, and that's why Romans 3.23 tells us, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this verse would be very frightening, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, unless, until you continued in Romans, in chapter 6 and verse 23, and it says, for the wage of sin, for all sin, okay, but the wage of sin is death. But listen to this. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wow. What a gift. The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. We're going to be with him for all eternity, experiencing all the joys of heaven. And even before Jesus Christ came, <clears throat> there was a city of, of refuge. Did you know that? It's called paradise in Scripture, or Abraham's bosom, it's also called in Scripture. So in other words, even before Jesus Christ came, even before the death of the high priest, those who sought after God were taken to a place of comfort. They couldn't go to heaven. You know why? Because no uncleanness can go to heaven. They still had sin that was on their soul. Even though they were righteous and they tried to follow the law, they loved the Lord, they couldn't go to heaven because they still had sin. <clears throat> so they went to this place called Paradise or Abraham's bosom. And we have an account of Lazarus and the rich man that Jesus gave. And we know it's not a parable because a formal name was given. And whenever a formal name is given, Jesus isn't giving a parable. He's not saying it was like. He's saying it was. And so there was a, a, a rich man who died and it says went to hell. And then Lazarus died and went to Abraham's bosom or Paradise where he was comforted. But when Jesus Christ came, <clears throat> he descended first into Abraham's bosom, into paradise, in order to offer the gospel to all of them that could receive it, be forgiven, all their sins washed away, then they could go to heaven. And I'm going to share a couple um, verse, or a portion with you that you might want to write down or turn to and follow, and that's in Ephesians chapter 4. If you want to turn to Ephesians chapter 4, and we'll pick up with verse 8. <clears throat> Ephesians 4 and verse 8, and this portion is all about what I'm just sharing with you, that when Jesus died on the cross, the first thing he did is he went and, and set the captives free, those who were in Abraham's bosom who were not able to go to heaven at that time. Ephesians chapter 4, and go to verse 8. Ephesians 4, verse 8. Therefore, he says, when he ascended on high, he led captivity captive and gave gifts to men. Now this, he ascended. Listen, what does it mean but that he also first first descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is also the one who ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Jesus Christ went to the city of refuge of those who died before his death on the cross, and he freed them and took them to heaven. 
Now, verse 33 in the portion that we're looking at here, it tells us blood defiles the land, and the land was considered guilty. And one of the reasons that I'm so certain that we're living in the last days and uh, the reason that I feel it's so important for us to keep our focus above and not on things around us is because our nation is filled with blood. Our nation is filled with blood. And all you have to do is go back to um, Roe versus Wade and when abortion was made illegal. When you consider the number of innocent children who've been murdered in the womb in our nation, this, this nation is full of blood. It's full of blood. But I always like to mention when I share that, there are women who have been falsely indoctrinated and encouraged into having an abortion, thinking there's nothing wrong with it. That's the way the world is. And those women who have had an abortion, and they cry out to Jesus after they get saved and say, God, forgive me, a sinner, they're forgiven. It's remembered no more. It's in the past. But nevertheless, our land has gotten to a place where it's, it's really disgusting. When you have the governor of New York State rejoicing because partial birth abortion has been passed in this state. That's frightening. That's disgusting. And we're living in a time that the church is coming under a kind of persecution it never has, not in this nation. In California, probably many of you are aware of this following the news, is that those churches in California that are meeting, they're uh, putting $2,000 fines on those that are meeting, and they're now trying to put through the assembly that the pastors that are allowing these churches to meet, they are put in prison for a year. I mean, you can do about anything in our nation and you don't go to prison, but you preach the, the word of God and you can go to prison. Do you understand where we're, where we're coming to as a nation? Do you understand how, I mean, we're really on the precipice and that's the reason we know that the Lord of the return, the return of the Lord is so near at hand. Jesus Christ is coming for his church. In Romans, I love this, chapter 10, verse 13, whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I love that because whoever literally means whoever. There's no, one, there's no one who's exempt from calling on the name of the Lord. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And there's never been a time in the history of our nation, in the history of this world, that it's more important for people to call upon the name of the Lord because it, the time is coming. And when the rapture occurs and believers are taken out of this world, at that moment... God's wrath starts being poured out on this land. And it's going to be horrible. Now, if there's any good that can come out of it, we know that during the tribulation, we're probably going to experience the greatest revival the world has ever seen. Many, many people are going to come to Jesus during the tribulation. So many people that the Antichrist has to devise a system in order to separate believers from unbelievers, that he might put them to death. But the reality is, I don't think 
any of us, nor do we want any of our loved ones to have to go through any part of the tribulation. It's going to be awful. And so we need to make that decision for the Lord now. We need to make that decision for the Lord today. And as we see everything happening, it's so interesting because Scripture says, as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, so shall be the coming of the Son of Man. And a woman... I mean, I, I'm not a woman, and I'm not a physician, but I was with my wife when, we, when she had our babies. When a woman starts actual labor, not the, you know, the fake labor, but when a woman starts actual labor, she doesn't say, you know what, let's wait a couple weeks. <laughs> Man, it's not her choice. When she starts labor, and those contractions start happening, and they start getting closer together and so forth, she knows the time's coming. This world is in severe labor pains, and the contractions are becoming closer and closer together, and we're going to be delivered out of this world through the rapture. And you've heard people say, well, you know what? That's an escape theology. Yep. Pray that you're counted worthy to escape all those things that are coming upon the world. I want to escape. If you want to be a stayist, you can. I want to be an escapist. And so it's our choice. And it's so important for every one of us to realize we have a choice to make, to commit our life to Jesus Christ. And if you are here today and you've never been born again, you've never really committed your life to Jesus Christ, today's the day. Make that decision. Commit your life to him. Because... No one is exempt, and it's not some difficult thing. Well, I've got to go through, you know, 150 weeks of catechism classes, and I have to do this, and I have to do that to be, to be saved. No, you don't. All you have to do is say, God, forgive me a sinner. Take over my life. And he will. That's his love. And I also love what it tells us in, as far as the city of refuge is concerned, is that even the suburbs, even the outskirts of the city, the person is saved. They're saved in that city of refuge. And, and why does that bless me? Because think about the thief on the cross. He was about to die, deserving death. He was about to die, and he said to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, this day you'll be with me in paradise. He was on the outskirts. He was on the hem of the city, but he was saved. And so that's encouraging because some of us might have people we love and relatives and so forth that are just on that hymn, but man, they're in that hymn. They're in that hymn. The time is coming, and now has come, for every one of us to lift up our heads and say, Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. Father, we thank you for your word and for your love and for the way you're able to break it open to us in such a way that we can understand it and how simple it is to know that through salvation we have eternal life. And so, Father, I pray that you would bless us with the knowledge and the assurance of your love for each one of us. And, Lord, help us to be witnesses in these last days. If there's ever been a time for us to be witnesses to this world, it's now. And so come in all of your power and all of your Shekinah glory and fill each of our hearts, Lord, that we 
might be endowed with power, with the dunamis from above, to do whatever you've called us to do. And I pray this all in Christ Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And God bless you, my friends.